Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. This next take is graphic in nature. If you don't like graphic takes, sit this one out because we are about to get into some gnarly territory. With that out of the way, when you think of the toughest athletes in sports history, who do you think of? I mean, there is my guy, Jack Youngblood, playing with a broken leg. Pittsburgh Penguin, Nick Bonino, played on a shattered stick as well. Of course, the gold standard is Ronnie Lott, who had his finger chopped off back in the day so he could go, so he could play. We now need these guys to make room for another member of the Brotherhood. I'm talking about MMA fighter Keytag Pliov. Keytag Pliov. He was fighting Devin Goodale last night, but ended up losing the fight by TKO. And why did he lose that fight? Because he lost his finger. That's right. Dude lost his finger. Literally lost his finger. Not only had his finger ripped off during the fight, but lost track of it. A legitimate missing digit. Let me read you the exact sentence from the ESPN column on that event. Quote, The fight, which was part of an event put on by Cage Fury Fighting Championship and aired on UFC Fight Pass, was stopped when the referee noticed Pliov was missing his left ring finger. End of quote. Now, notice what that says. The fight was stopped when the referee noticed the fighter was missing his left ring finger. The third man in the cage noticed that the finger was gone, not the guy who was actually missing the finger. How does that happen? I know your adrenaline is pumping in the cage. You're focused on only one thing, beating your opponent. But how do you lose a finger and not notice it? I could see losing your wallet or your phone and not noticing it until later on. But a finger, a body part, a freaking appendage, a thing that is connected to your hand. You lose that and you just keep on fighting. You lose that and you don't even know you lost that. The hell does that work? Like I said, luckily we're not on TV. So I do not have to play video of dude losing his finger. Rest assured though, if we were on TV, I would still not be playing that video. But if you want to picture it in your mind's eye, according to The Guardian, here is the call from CM Punk. In fact, I've got the actual call from CM Punk, who was working as a color commentator on the broadcast. Check this out. I don't understand exactly what happened. We're not going to replay it for you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, but it wasn't a compound fracture. It wasn't a dislocation, a break, a laceration. His finger was just gone. It's gone. Bizarre. Fell off, ripped off. Incredible. In other words, don't come up here, come up in here and try to give me some medical classification. This is not about a dislocation or a laceration. Homeboy just got his finger ripped clean off his hand. Period. Point blank. Dude's finger is not dislocated. It's Gonzo. And it gets even better. Because here's another line from that same column. Quote, 
for several minutes, those in the venue were searching for the stray digit. Event promoter Rob Hadak said officials looked all around the cage and there was even an announcement over the PA system asking people to look for it inside 2300 Arena, end quote. So the finger goes missing and people are looking all over the cage for it. And then somebody jumps on the PA and makes an announcement asking everybody there to look for the finger. Like they deputized everybody and formed a posse to look for the missing digit. I mean, can you imagine how that must have gone? Like, uh, attention fight fans. If you're parked in a blue Mazda in the parking lot, your lights are on. Also, we do have a report of a missing finger. Please check around your seats to see if you can find it. Don't forget to look under your seat and in your popcorn buckets. We thank you. Kind of reminds me of that time that I was at a NASCAR race. And I was coming down the catwalk with the drivers, slapping low fives with the fans. And I threw my wedding ring about 30 rows deep. And in what I still consider one of the miracles of my entire life, somebody actually picked it up off the ground as I was still walking down that ramp, and they passed it all the way forward, and they got it to me before I got off that cat ramp or catwalk on that ramp. It was incredible. I wonder if they did that with that dude's finger. Did it fly to the back of the arena, and did the fans all pass the digit forward to get it back to its rightful owner? And did he try to put it back on the way I did my ring? Actually, in his case, that's not what happened. The promoter said they eventually discovered that the finger was ripped off his hand, but it was still in his glove all along. I mean, wow. You want to talk about a facepalm moment? Man, is that embarrassing. You've got the whole arena looking for the missing finger, and it turns out dude had it in his glove. All along. Man, it's always the last place you look, isn't it? Always the last place you look. Hadak told ESPN, quote, it was a surreal moment. I said, wait a second. Where the F is his finger? They were all like, I don't know. End quote. Holy crap. That's the promoter who said that. Like, which part of that was surreal? The fact that dude had his finger ripped off his hand in a fight, or the part where you said, quote, where the F is his finger, or the part where everybody said, I don't know, because I'm not really sure I can pick the most surreal part of that whole thing. I mean, everything about this is insane and surreal. I mean, who has ever asked the question? Who has ever asked the question, where the F is his finger? So on the surreal scale, I'm going to give that a 10. But Pliyev, he can only give it a 9. Hey-o! Wow. Can we talk about this dude for a moment? Because that dude, incredibly, not only didn't seem to know that he was missing a finger, but when he found out, he was not only not phased by it, but he actually was bent that they stopped the fight. Quote, in the second round, he caught my glove with one hand and held it. I felt my finger snapped. He kept pulling my glove, and my finger snapped. We kept fighting. When the second round was finished, I see my bone was out in the open. I wanted to keep fighting because I felt like I had this guy. But the doctor saw that, and he stopped the fight. End quote. I mean, there are tough quotes 
And then there is that quote. That is the ultimate tough guy quote. The ultimate hard quote. When the second round was finished, I see my bone was out in the open. I want to keep fighting because I felt like I had this guy. Those last few words are incredible. I felt like I had this guy. Kind of like, hey, yo, you see me missing a finger? You think I'm in trouble? Hell no. I've got this guy right where I want him. He thinks he's got an advantage because he just ripped my finger off my hand. I own this dude. Yeah, he's got my finger, but I've got this cat's heart. You got my digit, but I'm about to get this dub. Hey, listen, I know that fighters never think they're hurt, and they always want to continue, but this is some next-level going-out-on-your-shield bleep. This guy had his finger ripped off, and he's pleading his case, demanding to continue. Quote, but the doctor saw that and stopped the fight. Yeah, man, I hate it when that happens. Like, the dude was going to somehow hide the fact that he got his finger ripped off. Like he's pissed at the doctor. This nerd sitting cage side stopped the fight. The hell does he know about a fight? When did he ever get to a fight? This weenie wouldn't let me keep fighting. This fight's going great. I've got this cat right where I want him. And then Doogie Hauser MD suddenly jumps in like the wuss that he is, and he stops the fight. And by the way, how much did that decision cost him? Because you know he was going to get that best digit removal bonus at the end of the night that they always give out. I entered the cage with 20 fingers and toes. I've still got 19. That's 95% of my original count. What's your problem, Dr. Nerd MD? Yeah, I don't know, brother. I mean, you're uncommon amongst the most uncommon. But I think, and I know you think you had a job to do, but sort of that doctor. I'm pretty sure that doc, I'm pretty sure 10 out of 10 docs in that situation are going to see you missing a limb and make the same exact call you did. Even if you did, quote, have the guy. And let me finally say this about my man, Pleov. That's not just him talking to the media, making himself look tough or hard. Haydak, the promoter, said the same thing. Not only did this guy want to keep fighting, but even after the fight was called, he wanted to stay in the cage for the ring announcer to read the result. As Haydak said, quote, it was crazy. He didn't even flinch. He was getting ready to do the official decision, and I was like, uh, guys, get him out of the cage and go put his finger back on, end quote. Finally, some sanity. Yo, man, why are you sticking around here to hear the ring announcer read the results? They're not going to overturn it and suddenly declare you the winner, man. Get to the hospital and get that finger jammed back on your hand. SureDog.com now lists the fight as a loss with the official description of TKO detached finger. My man, sorry you had to take that L. But at least you made history with one of the all-time most grisly fight descriptions ever. And one of the absolute baddest, hardest, toughest performances ever. You are a bad, bad mother bleeper. And never mind me being honored to meet you one day. I'm honored to even talk about you today. If I'm Devin Goodale, man, the guy that ripped his finger off his hand, I'm on my hands and knees and I'm looking for that digit. And when I find it, I'm going to wear it around my neck to all the clubs. Now, that'd be a badass look. And why do I think the guy missing the digit wouldn't even care? He just want a rematch. Dude, that is a crazy story. I saw that first thing this morning when I woke up, and I'm like, oh, man. 
Are you craving some great protein after a good workout? Of course you are. Except this time, don't make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Well, it's awesome. And because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. And on top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can, in fact, taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, hot and spicy, if you need a little extra zing. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, reach for a bag of Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Good friend of the program. He is Howard Beck. Howard, what's going on? Welcome back. How are you? I'm doing all right, Romy. How are you? Super, super. Great to talk to you. Lots to cover. Let me jump right in, Howard. So the Nuggets... Whoops, there's Siri again. The Nuggets, Howard, beat the Clippers last night. How annoying is that, Howard? Does that ever happen to you on your podcast? Does that ever happen on your podcast, bro, where you're just talking to somebody, you are Maddox, or you and a guest, and Siri just pipes in like that? No, I've turned off the Hey Siri thing because I just don't even want anybody butting in at any time, and especially my phone. I do not need to hear from my phone uh, except for with Google Maps, and even then, sometimes it's too much. And by the way, you're so right about that, and you think that after it happened to me five times on the air, or 50, I would do something about that, but I always use it for the very thing you just mentioned. Anyway, Nuggets beat the Clippers last night in a game they never trailed, despite the fact that the Joker did not have his usual dominant game. What's that say about the depth and the talent then of the Nuggets, Howard? It's small sample size theater here where we're talking about, oh my, look at the look at the Nuggets with, you know, Aaron Gordon now joining Jamal Murray and Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. And I don't want to get carried away, but man, they look good. And you know, look, we knew that Nuggets were already a very good team. They were in the conference finals last year, legitimately. And they got off to a sluggish start this year, and they had lost some interesting, you know, important pieces like Jeremy Grant, who's having a phenomenal year in Detroit. And so I had my doubts about them, Rome. I was not sure if the Nuggets could reach the same heights and if maybe there was just some missing element. Like Jeremy Grant, a role player for them, but sometimes it's just that one thread you pull out of the sweater and it comes apart. And I thought maybe the chemistry was just different or his defensive presence and the tone he set. And so I just wasn't sure. But they had gotten themselves back together even before the deal for Gordon. And the deal for Aaron Gordon was fantastic. Just an absolute home run for them. And that foursome that we mentioned is really potent. And Gordon helps them defensively as well, especially because Porter Jr. is not equipped at this stage or is not ready to to take on some of those bigger defensive assignments at the wings. Gordon can take those guys. They're legit. And I think they're in this thing. And it's not just because they beat the Clippers last night. You know, the Clippers, they're waiting for Rondo to get healthy. They need to get Ibaka back. And um, they've been, they're weirdly up and down anyway. But I think the Nuggets are legit. And I think that they are absolutely as much a part of this conversation in this 
weird season as any other team in the West. No doubt. Howard Beck joining us. I agree with you. I think they are legit. I think that we're not overreacting, and I could not love that deal that they made for Aaron Gordon any more than I do. They're 3-0 and with him. I think the fit's amazing. I absolutely love that deal. Howard, you mentioned the Clippers. All right, so they were getting rocked in the first half by a team that did blow a 3-1 lead to them in the playoffs last year. They acquired Rajon Rondo at the trade deadline who you mentioned. How significant is that deal for the Clippers? I'm still not sure. Um, you know, Rondo is on like the fifth straight year of, eh, I think maybe he's kind of done as a really big impact player. Um, you know, Dallas had benched him in the playoffs the one year when he got into it with Carlisle and then the Kings, you know, had signed him to a big deal. Then they moved on after a year and, you know, every year he kind of revives himself. And then we see playoff Rondo as much as he hates that nickname. The guy emerges at the most important times of the year and balls out and helps teams advance in the playoffs. And so far be it. For, for me to, to rule it out happening again, they do, you know, everybody around the league knew it. The, the Clippers were desperate for an upgraded point guard. And Kyle Lowry, if they could have ever gotten him, they just didn't have the assets to, to move to do it. But they needed an upgrade. They needed somebody to provide some structure, some leadership, some playmaking, and just to get them organized and to, and to create shots, especially in crunch time. Can Rondo still do that at a high enough level? And with his other limitations, obviously he's not a shooter, he's not a scorer, but he is a strong leader. And he is a a, a great playmaker and a very experienced one in in the tightest moments when the Clippers have often not been at their best. Now they've got Rondo there to to hold them steady. So let's see what happens when he actually gets healthy and and becomes a part of that that rotation. How many minutes can he he, uh, sustain at this stage of his career? I'm not sure. So I, I think it was a good move. I'm not sure if it's as big of an impact move as, you know, say the Nuggets obviously getting Aaron Gordon. Right. I think that's fair. Howard Beck joining us. You mentioned Kyle Lowry. What do you make of the fact that the Raptors did not move him? Yeah, you know, I, I was saying even before the season started, like the era is over. I, you, you hate to say it, but you lost Ibaka and Gasol. You already were, you know, had lost, of course, Kawhi, most importantly, and Danny Green. Like the identity of that team had already substantially changed, and you, you know, you already had a, a clear indication it's time to move younger and go to, to a, a core of Van Vliet and Siakam and Ananobi. And so I thought it was inevitable that Lowry would be dealt, and it was the right time to do it. As hard as that is, as much as he's meant to that franchise, symbolically, emotionally, competitively. It was time. And so when they finally looked like they were going to, I, I was applauding it. Like, okay, good. Like, it's the tough move, but it's the right move. Go younger, get some assets. You're going to leave potentially as a free agent anyway. And then nothing. <laughs> um, did they hold out too much for too great of a deal that the, the Heat and the, the Lakers just were not willing to give up? Did they miss an opportunity? I mean, I guess you can make that argument, but I also feel like it's, you know, we can make all the cold calculations as the outsiders and say, oh, this is the right thing to do. Get assets. Trade the guy. But it is tough. It's tough for a franchise. It's tough for a fan base. And so I, I, I can't get mad at them keeping him and writing this out, seeing if they can stabilize themselves this season. He's very valuable, not only for his play, but as a leader. And who knows? Maybe he resigns on a smaller deal this summer and finishes out his career with them. That, that wouldn't be the worst outcome either. 
So, you know, I'm kind of mixed on it. Right. Howard Beck is joining us. All right, Howard, what about, and I can't believe we get this far in without me asking you about the defending champs, but the Lakers did add Andre Drummond. He loses that toenail. He can't finish his first game with the team. They're already without Anthony Davis and LeBron. How concerned are you about the Lakers right now? The easy answer is to say, eh, they're the Lakers. They'll be fine. (laughs) LeBron and AD will be back. And when those guys are back, they're still the favorites. And I believe all of that, but LeBron is out probably another three, four weeks. I don't know when Anthony Davis is coming back, but you know, there's, there's a lot of room for them to, to fall further in their absences. And, you know, in a normal year, Rome, I would say, look, it's the Lakers. They don't need home court, especially in a year where there's barely any fans in buildings. They're the defending champs. They're a veteran team. They don't have to worry about things like home court or matchups. And I still do believe that as well. However, there's a play-in tournament this year. And if you're 7 through 10, you know, 7 and 8, it's double elimination. 9 and 10, it's single elimination. Now, it's, now it gets dicey. Because now it's, if you're in the play-in tournament and you just have a bad night, bad shooting night, or someone gets in foul trouble, or someone turns an ankle in the first quarter – suddenly your postseason may be over before it begins just on a fluke. So that part is concerning. I still tend to lean toward they'll be fine. It doesn't matter where they finish, and they'll still be there in the end, and we'll still be seeing them at at a minimum in the conference finals if healthy. But there is some volatility in this season that that didn't exist before because of the play-in. We're talking to Howard Beck. All right, Howard, one last thought. What about last week? If you were to go back to the NBA trade deadline, and now that the Rockets have traded Victor Oladipo for next to nothing, how does the original James Harden trade look to you now? I think it looks terrible. I didn't really like it at the time anyway, and I thought they would have been better off keeping Karis Levert and Jared Allen, who were you know, sent over in, in the Nets, uh, you know, in their payment for, for Harden, along with all those picks and pick swaps. Those are two really good young players. But they flipped them both, and they flipped Levert for Oladipo, who everybody knew was you know, not healthy, or, or not, I shouldn't say not healthy, just not all the way back to who he was following that, that serious injury of a couple of years ago and was on an expiring contract. And so you thought, well, okay, maybe they think they can flip him at the deadline for more value than what they gave up in Levert. But that's not, that's not what happened. I mean, Kelly Olenek and, and every, uh, Avery Bradley is, is not what you were hoping to get, clearly. And so, no, I, I don't think they got great value. And when you, every, you know, every negotiation is different. But when you look at the James Harden uh, payout, what they got in, in the deal for him versus what the Thunder got for Paul George or versus what the Pelicans got for Anthony Davis, I don't think they got full value for James Harden. Um, they're in a, obviously in a really bad place competitively right now. They do have a lot of picks coming, but some of those picks are going to be pretty low. Who knows if the pick swaps will come into play or not in the future. Uh, I, I don't like where the Rockets are right now, and I do think the Oladipo trade to Miami makes the original deal for Harden look even worse. Howard Beck, my guest. All right, so a quick follow before I let you go. What about Oladipo to Miami since you mentioned that? He made his debut for the Heat last night. He may not, as you mentioned, be the player he once was, not during his prime in Indiana, but considering how little they gave up to get him, how do you like that move from Miami? Well, that's the thing. They gave up very little to get him. It's a, it's a short-term investment. And he's not the guy who you're going to rise and fall with every night. You know, that team is about Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and the young guys, the shooters. Oladipo doesn't have to carry them. So it's a phenomenal deal for Miami because whatever he does or does not have left, 
he's not a high usage guy in Miami and doesn't have to be. And also defensively, when you put him out there with all of his, his length and ability to cover a lot of ground and cover multiple positions alongside Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Andre Iguodala, Trevor Ariza, defensively that team's got a lot of versatility and can cover a lot of ground. And if you think you know that this may go through Brooklyn eventually, we're going to have to deal with three elite perimeter guys, and, and the Heat have, I'm not saying they can stop them, I'm just saying you have that many really good defensive players you're in a much better position to try to compete than a team that doesn't have all of that personnel. So I love the deal for Miami. He is a senior NBA writer at Sports Illustrated. He is a serious XM NBA analyst, co-host of the crossover NBA show with Chris Mannix and Howard Beck, the pride of UC Davis. Howard, appreciate you very much. Great to have you back. Thanks for doing that, Howard, as always. Always a pleasure, Romy. Thank you. When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their turn to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK. Dell. All right, so I've got a lot of thoughts on opening day in Major League Baseball, but let me start right here. I'm going to actually skip over to this. So the Indians lose their season opener 3-2 to Detroit in a damn springtime snow blizzard. Now, here's the great thing about baseball. There's always a game tomorrow. In this case, there are 161 more tomorrows for Seatown, their players, their fans, and 162 more post-game shows to be hosted by longtime broadcaster and local legend Bruce Drennan. Now, you know me. I've never made it a habit to talk about other programs. I just don't. However, I'm going to make an exception here because my man got loose. If you've ever been driving around at the end of a baseball game, you know the tried and true caller-driven post-game show. It's an absolute radio staple, has been for decades. It's American, as American as apple pie. You read a box score, you play some highlights, you roll the skipper's comments, and then you line up call after call from a bunch of knobs droning on about super-specific plays that nobody remembers from the third inning. Certain pitches from the fourth inning. The callers are in no hurry to make their point because they love the sound of their own voice. And the hosts are in no hurry to get them off the air because it's late at night and they do have 162 of these shows that have to get done. However, Bruce Drennan's Cleveland Indians postgame show is not like the other postgame shows because Bruce Drennan is not content to kick his feet up and let his callers ramble on if he disagrees with what he's hearing. Who does that remind you of? Now, my man may not have himself a manual LT buzzer, but he doesn't need one because my man has himself himself. Listen to BD absolutely smoke this caller after the caller took a run at Fran Mill Reyes' lack of clutch hitting. The next guy, the good pitch is down the middle. He won't swing at, but the ball's down around his ankles. He hits the shortstop into a double play. This has been going on for two years. Right. Uh, I guess you missed a lot of the games that Reyes hit in the clutch last year, huh? 
No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're an no, idiot. No. You're an idiot and you don't know baseball. I'm you're not gonna, an idiot. No, you are an idiot. Listen, no, you're going to tell me you are judging. You don't know anything. You don't know squat, you stupid idiot. You're going to tell me you're going to make a judgment on the season after one game in 30-degree weather. That proves what an ignoramus you are. Get off our show, fair weather idiot. All right, we're going to move on here. Um, 844-284-289-1421. Wow. Well, first of all, why is Bob in L.A. picking a fight with Drennan? 844-289-1421. Run his ass down. Is that a phone number or is, the, is that the amount of bodies that Drennan's going to pile up this year? Let me take this moment to remind everybody we are one game in. One game into a 162-game season, and my man's out here eviscerating callers to his own show. Man, I love how hostile it gets and how quickly it gets there. Drennan asked the caller if he missed the games where Reyes hit in the clutch last year. The caller says no about 50 times, and the host just tattoos him with his own medicine. Right. Uh, I guess you missed a lot of the games that Reyes hit in the clutch last year, huh? No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What a classic sports radio exchange. Sports radio at its absolute finest right there. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And from there, Drennan was off and murdering. Credit to the caller for hanging in as long as he did and feebly trying to yell back. Even more credit to the board op who did not pot down the caller. Because this is an all-time back and forth of people screaming over each other. You're an idiot and you don't know baseball. I'm you're not gonna, an idiot. No, you are an idiot. Listen, no, you're going to tell me you are judging. You don't know anything. You don't know squat, you stupid idiot. Imagine driving around. Driving around town after the game and hearing that. You'd be hoping for a Cleveland loss every single night. Side note. Stupid idiot is one of the greatest redundancy insults ever. You stupid idiot. You're not just stupid, and you're not just an idiot. You're a stupid idiot. The stupidest of the idiots and the most idiotic of the stupid people. You stupid idiot. So when you have the FCC governing what you can and cannot say, it's hard to come up with something without much heat that doesn't get you ripped off the air. Stupid idiot is without a doubt the ace of FCC-approved spades. You stupid idiot! Now, as raucous and as loud as the entire thing was, there was actually some logic being doled out by Drennan. He's right. It had everything to do with judging a player after only one game, especially when that game was in a damn blizzard. You're going to tell me you're going to make a judgment on the season after one game in 30-degree weather? That proves what an ignoramus you are. Get off our show, fair-weather idiot. Sick him. Has there ever been a more appropriate use of the term fair-weather idiot than when scolding a guy for judging a player off a game in literally terrible weather. So I don't know if BD planned that or if he happened upon that bit of a genius. I don't know where that came from. Fair-weather idiot. And you got to love how this guy invites others to participate right after he just 
bodied a caller. All right, we're going to move on here. Um, 844-289-1421. Yeah, sounds good, Bruce. Let me get to a quiet spot so I can lob you a phone call, so you can lop off my dome and kick it down the street for the entire city of Seatown to hear, and then blast it upper right corner into the back of the net. Goal! 844-289-1431. It's not a phone number. That's a death wish. A lot of talk this week about game respecting game. This is game respecting game. Otherwise, I would never talk about another show on this show. But I am for that. That being said, sign me up for 161 more of those. Normally, the postgame show is the biggest throwaway hour or hours on radio. Unless my man old Brucey gets Lucy. This dude is 70. 70 years old and still on the bump and just pumping heat. Now, I would say, now, believe me, I don't want anybody to tell me how to do my show. And I'm not going to tell you how to do your show. And I'm sure it's all I'm not going to tell that guy how to do his show because he knows how to do his show. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. That's a tough pace to keep up all year long, my man. However, I do believe in you. How could I not? You're going to tell me you're going to make a judgment on the season after one game in 30-degree weather? That proves what an ignoramus you are. Get off our show, fair-weather idiot. Man, it's going to be a long year. Michael Lombardi. Michael, it's great to have you back. How are you? Thanks, Jim. Great to be back. Hope all is well. All is well here. How about you? Well, I'm doing good. This point, my man Mus, our man Mus made it to the Elite Eight, so we're both doing good. I'm telling you, Michael, what about Mus? I don't think, I've tried to make this point on this show a number of times. Mus has completely reinvented himself. You've been around a lot of great coaches in a lot of different sports. What's your take on Mus? What makes him different? How is he an outlier? Well, I think he, he really scouts inside out, right? So he understands what his team needs. And then he fits the he fits the scheme around the team, you know. And when you use the word reinvent, I mean that's what all coaches should do every single season. It's one of Belichick's great strengths. You know, if I have a team that needs to run the ball, I'm going to run the ball. If I have a team that can throw the ball, we're going to adapt to throwing. And I think that's what you see with Musselman. And I think you see a competitively mentally tough team, whether it was Reno, whether it was the Warriors when he coached there, or Golden, or, or uh, at, down at LSU as an assistant. I mean, they're mentally tough. They play hard, and he's very adaptive, and he's in-game. He can make the adjustments. I mean, we don't talk about that in basketball enough. It happens in football often, but the in-game adjustments are critical. We're talking to Michael Lombardi. One quick thought about what you said about Belichick and that every coach should reinvent himself every year. Does he, for instance, Belichick, does he reinvent that team every year, or how often does he reinvent himself? I think he reinvents the team, and then the, the, his himself being reinvented is because he's willingness to be adaptable and change, as all great leaders have to be. And so when he sees his team, when he collects the players, and he builds the team starting in, in May, then he sees what they have, and then they're going to be able to adapt to what they have. That's critical. I think you know what you see in the Chicago Bears – you know, they're trying to run Matt Nagy's scheme. Whenever you hear a coach talk about running his scheme, he's not paying attention to the players. The players dictate what scheme you need to run. For example, if you watch Lamar Jackson, 
And you really, you get caught up, well, Greg Roman's running. No, they should run a scheme similar to what the Browns run. Play action. Lamar under center. Lamar being able to run bootlegs and nakeds and utilize his skill set and give him more opportunity to throw the ball outside the numbers. I mean, Lamar Jackson averages 5.3 yards throwing the ball to his right outside the numbers and 5-1 throwing it to his left outside the numbers. That's not good enough. That means you're not giving him the throws he needs. If he ran the Baker Mayfield, Kevin Stefanski, Gary Kubiak offense, he could be deadly. That's what great coaches do. They fit the scheme to the player. So, Michael Lombardi joining us. I think that's really interesting. I do not in any way, do not disagree with you. I agree with what you just said. Does that then mean that John Harbaugh is not a great coach? I think John Harbaugh is not willing to walk into Greg Roman and say, Greg, look, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to run a scheme that we got to get the ball outside. They keep trying to sign receivers as if that's going to get the ball outside. Okay, we signed Sammy Watkins. Now we can throw it outside. No, you can't. No, you can't. I mean, if you put a reel together, and I urge all the listeners on your program, think about every throw Baker Mayfield made and tell me the throws he made that were really challenging down the field. There were guys so wide open he couldn't miss them. He met the talent with Baker Mayfield. And what happens is John Harbaugh, special teams coach, He doesn't have enough confidence in himself as an offensive coach to walk in there and say, Greg, we need to have him under center more. We need to have him running bootlegs and nakeds and get away from this RPO stuff and throw the ball outside the numbers. We need to adapt his skill set. If you go back and watch Louisville tape and and watch Lamar play at Louisville, Bobby Petrino had him under center quite a bit. He had him under center quite a bit, and he threw the ball down the field really well. But you've got to be adaptive. Michael Lombardi is joining us, an NFL insider for The Athletic, co-host of the GM Shuffle podcast. He is an author. He has won the Super Bowl three times. All right, Michael, i got to pick my spots. Like I love everything I'm hearing. I want to ask you about the draft. You've been writing extensively about the draft, which is upcoming for The Athletic. You've got a great piece up, in fact, about drafting quarterbacks, and you make the point that nearly 50% of the quarterbacks who've been drafted in the first round since 2015 are no longer with the team that drafted them. Why is that, and what do you make of that number? Well, I think that the number is it just shows you you have too many people that don't know what they're doing. It's really true. They have too many people making decisions that don't understand it. Bill Walsh told me in 1984, very few people can coach the quarterback and even fewer can evaluate them. And some of these organizations have 20, 30 people trying to help make decisions on the quarterback. No wonder why you can't get it right. You have 20 opinions. You have 20 chances to be wrong. Cut down the number of people involved. Make it so that you're really having experts in the field. And then define, define the system that fits the player. It's really simple. Scout inside out. And if you can't define it, don't take them. All right, so for instance, Michael Lombardi, my guest, for instance, if you're the 49ers and you see that big swing they make to move up to get the number three pick overall in the draft, and presumably they're going to take a quarterback, that said, would you be comfortable saying to Kyle Shanahan, if you want to limit the number of people involved, would you be comfortable saying to Kyle Shanahan, go get the guy you want? Yeah, I would, because Kyle knows what he wants. He's got a track record. He knows exactly. He can scout inside out. Now, not a lot of people could agree with him, But he knows what he wants. And the only person that could help him is his father. And that's what I wrote about. Mike knows, too. And so they know what they want in their offense. That's half the battle. That's why Joe Montana's a third-round pick. It's in the Hall of Fame. That's why Steve Young got traded for a fourth-round pick and a million dollars when nobody wanted him in the league and Tampa Bay was dumping him. Because 
great coaches like Walsh and Shanahan's, they understand how to scout inside out. They know what they want. And then they put the player in there, and everybody says, man, they're getting a lot out of that guy. No, they understood the vision of the player. We have too many people that don't get the vision. What was the vision for Mitchell Trubisky? Like, what was that vision? No one could tell you. They just thought he was a great athlete. You know, no one can tell you the vision for the player. And you wonder why this is a multi-billion dollar industry and you can't even hit on almost 50% of the picks. Michael Lombardi is joining us. It's not a good number. Now, Michael, you mentioned Mike Shanahan. If you had to guess, how much of a role does Mike play in everything that's going on with the 49ers? I mean, honestly, he's got to be in his kid's head on occasion, or is it way more than that? Oh, I think he – look, Mike's probably in Cabo playing a lot of golf, and he's probably got a tape machine down there. He loves to watch football, and he watches it. And he's really – you know what he's really good at, Jim? He's great at defense. Like, and this is what most great offensive coaches are. They're great at de- they're great at the other side of the ball. You know, Walsh was great at understanding defense. Belichick's great at understanding offense. And that allows him to be a really good offensive coach. And so what Mike's probably doing is helping Kyle out. Understanding, hey, here's what I think, and here's what I think you should think about. Not coaching the team. You know, here's where I think you're weak. Here's where I think you're strong. An outside set of eyes that can help you really evaluate what's going on. And I think that that's partly what he's been able to do. And he's so good at defense. Like, knowing Mike, I'm sure he probably didn't like the 49er defense because it was too simple for Mike. Mike likes complex. Mike likes to be uh, go. Mike finds it challenging to play against a defense that is multidimensional. One-third zone, one-third man, one-third zone man dogs. That becomes a problem for it. Where the Niners were all one front, one coverage. I think you'll see a change in that this year. Michael Lombardi joining me for a few more moments. So, Michael, what about the 49ers? I mean, I could ask you 10 more questions about them, but from a quarterback standpoint, it, the concern about Jimmy Garoppolo, in your mind, is it based on what he can and cannot do on the field, or is it based on the fact that he can't stay on the field? I think a little bit of both. I think Kyle's never felt comfortable that he could really grasp the things at the line of scrimmage. Look, I've been around Jimmy. Jimmy's a smart guy. But, you know, you're going to have to keep it kind of, I don't want to say simple, but I think Jimmy's going to play to the level of he's going to be a gunslinger a little bit. And I think that bothers Kyle. And I think the fact that they talked about Brady last year. Kyle wanted to sign Brady last year. Now, coming off the Super Bowl and all the momentum, the organization was, why would we do that? I think that Kyle feels like Jimmy can't stay healthy. And I think that's the concern. And he's missed 23 games over the last three seasons. There's evidence to prove he can't stay healthy. Michael, what do you make of Zach Wilson? What do you make of him, and what's his ceiling look like to you in the NFL? You know, while I watch Zach Wilson as a junior against USC, I thought he was sensational. I think he's got all the things you want. I think he would be ideal. In a little bit, I think, Jim, we're getting too carried away with this RPO stuff. I think what helps the quarterback more than anything is being under center. You know why? Because the linebackers don't know whether it's run or pass when you're under center. The RPO game gets them a little bit, but now they've played against it enough. I think in Zach Wilson's case, because of his size, he's not the biggest guy. He's bigger than Baker Mayfield. He's bigger than some Russell Wilson. But I think he'll be really good in the right system, under center, utilizing. You know, San Francisco, that system would be ideal for Zach Wilson. They're going to run it at the Jets. I think that's a perfect, perfect marriage for him. All right, so really quickly, go back to the 49ers for a minute. If he ends up with the Jets and the Niners have their choice of Mac Jones and – Trey Lance, where do you think they go? Who's the better fit for the Niners? Well, I think Trey Lance is at least a year away. I mean, Trey Lance is at least a year away. 
and 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 he played 19 games. You know, he's protected the football. He's got really good athleticism. But the one thing he doesn't have, and I don't think anybody who watches the tape uh, would, would disagree, he's not the most accurate quarterback. Now, do you think you can fix it? Well, Josh Allen's given a lot of people hope that you can fix accuracy. He's given a ton of people hope on that. I don't know if you can or not. I've never believed you could. Josh Allen's proven me wrong. So I think it's Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones, when you study Jake Plummer, when you study Brian Greasy, when you study Matt Schaub, when you study Kirk Cousins, what do they all have in common? They all remind you of Mac Jones. Those were all Shanahan quarterbacks. Michael, I saw that you recently spoke to the University of Arizona football team. I'm really curious. Like, What was your message to them, and what did you want them to take away from it? I wanted them to understand it's a team. It's a team sport. You know, football, the name on the front is way more important than the name on the back. I think that, you know, you've got to understand in, in football, we're different than basketball. You know, in basketball, one or two guys can carry the team. Football is a team sport. It requires mental and physical toughness. And that's what my presentations are always. It, they're corporate presentations. They apply to whether you're the University of Arizona football or basketball or women's volleyball. It's about mental toughness, how to be a good teammate, how to build yourself to be a grow, have a growth mindset and be able to handle the volume of what's in front of you as a teammate and as a player. And Michael, finally, football aside, I mean, if you go to talk to a company or you talk to any kind of group, and I know that you study up on this, you study up on leadership, that issue of mental toughness for the rest of us, how do you increase mental toughness? Doing something every single day. Jim, you're, you're from San Diego. You know San Diego. 175 guys, women, get invited to Navy SEALs. Only 25 make it, right? And the Navy SEALs instructors will tell you the first day who won't and who will. And usually the best athletes won't make it. Why? Because they, Not because they can't do the push-ups or the chin-ups or run the mile. It's because they can't do it every single day. They get too far ahead of themselves. They worry about week four as opposed to worrying about going from breakfast to the next training session. Volume. Volume is what creates mental toughness, the ability to handle volume. Tom Brady's mental toughness is because every day – he does the same thing over and over and over again and never gets bored. He is an NFL insider for The Athletic, co-host of the GM Shuffle podcast, and author, a three-time Super Bowl winner, and always a great guest on this show. Michael, I appreciate it very much, man. Great job. Great to have you back, Michael. Thanks, Jim. First things first, Big Head. Well, welcome to your segment, Big Head. How you feeling? I'm feeling great, Jim. Thanks for having me All on right. my segment. Yeah, yeah, it is good to have you on your segment. Let me ask you this. What is the over-under on how many times you're going to murder the English language this segment. Uh, I think that number is probably two and a half. I ain't going to go Gonzaga with it and be perfect this entire segment. So two and a half is good, Jim. Well, use of the word ain't, that's There's one. one. There's one. Gonzaga, that's two. <laughs> All right, so you're almost there already. All right, so we've gotten down. We've made money in the NCAA tournament. You are 11-5. and five with your March Madness picks, 68% head. I will take that all day long, so credit for that. That said, the Final Four is tough. Let's get right at it. Hell yes. Gonzaga, UCLA. UCLA without question, head, to me, has been one of the great stories of the tournament, maybe the story of the tournament, from first four 
to the Final Four, from losing four in a row to end the regular season to winning five in a row since. But the Zags look like a team for the ages. They're dominant. They're seemingly unstoppable. They're looking to do something that has not been done since 1976. Win it all and go undefeated in the process. And sidebar, if that happens, I don't want to hear any garbage about how you can hang an asterisk on them because of the conference they play in or that they did it without having to travel for the tournament and did so in near empty arenas because of the pandemic. I don't give a damn about what conference they play in or the fact that they're doing it during a pandemic. In fact, it makes it more impressive, not less. It's just a bad take. But we can blow up that bridge if and when we get there. Mm -hmm. For our purposes here, Head, Zags v. Bruins. And we're not asking, is Gonzaga better than UCLA? We're asking, are they 14 and a half better? I love Mick Cronin. I love the Bruins' grit. But as mentioned, the Zags' head are generational, at least offensively. And they're running really nice teams out the gym. How are you playing this game? I'm going to lay the 14.5 points in the Final Four and take the Zags here, Jim. Look, both teams have been fire against the spread lately, covering all their games in the tournament, so that's a wash there. Now, UCLA's pace of play is my biggest concern. Ken Palm has them as the 338th-ranked team in adjusted tempo, so they will try to slow it down. But outside of that, everything else favors Gonzaga. I think the Bruins have gotten some help in the tournament. Some of these teams have beaten themselves, and the Bulldogs won't do that. These guys can put it on you anyway, inside-outside mid-range, and from multiple players, Jim, Zags minus 14.5. Zags minus 14.5. If I'm not mistaken, that is the biggest spread for a Final Four game in a quarter of a century. That's is that right. a, is that that's a no-brainer it. to you? Uh, no, not a no-brainer. Very that's tough, right. but that's where I'm going. Okay, what about Baylor v. Houston? A really interesting game to me. You know, the long-running narrative is that Baylor and Gonzaga are the two best teams in the country. They have been all year long. They've been on this collision course for the championship game for months. It's all true, but Kelvin Sampson and Houston will have something to say about this because they're tough as hell physically. They're ready for a war every single night. They contest everything defensively, and they're absolute monsters on the offensive glass. However, head, there is a reason Baylor is favored by six. They're great on both ends. They have a lights-out, fearless backcourt. But that said, this is an enormous Kelvin Sampson house. Personally, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm taking Houston and the points. How are you going to play it? I'm going to do the same here. I'm hitting Houston plus five. Look, uh, the teams Houston beat. Cleveland State, Rutgers, Syracuse, and Oregon State all have one thing in common with Baylor. Their defensive rebounding is is complete ass, Jim. It's horrible. The Bears rank 274th in the country at defensive rebounding percentage. So while I'm worried about Houston scoring punch, that old glass should generate a few easy hoops for them. Also, nobody shoots the three ball better than Baylor, but outside of Alabama, Houston was the best team in the entire tournament at defending the three, only allowing their opponents to hit 29% from downtown. I think this is close. I'm taking Kelvin and his team who has covered over 66% of their games this year and the plus five. I love it. I love it. All right, so your number there is plus five. Houston plus five. Gonzaga minus 14 and a half. Mm -hmm. What about the NBA head? Do you see anything in the NBA that you want to hit? And are you still riding with BetQL for it? Hell yes, I'm riding with these guys, and I'm actually arm-in-arm with them on their best five-star play of the day tonight, Jim. They love the Suns at minus 12.5 against OKC. They actually have Phoenix 15.5 points better, 
than OKC, and I love that. The Suns, not the Jazz, are actually the best cover in the entire NBA. So I'm going Suns here. I'm going with the best odds guy in the game, Chris Paul, against his former team. Suns, minus 12.5, me and BetQL. BetQL is something we are now using. It's one of our tools in our toolbox, and we love it so far. BetQL, check it out. So the big head is showing some range. We've got NBA. We've got the Final Four. What about the MLB season? Head, it's underway. Mm -hmm. I know you love a futures play. Now, you've got a giant head, but you're a patient dude. And I know you like that long game. I know your philosophy on this. You'll take a shot, even a big swing, and then you'll hedge with something sort of chalky. Is that the thinking here? If so, who do you like, and how are you getting down for the MLB season? That's exactly the thinking. But the Dodgers at plus 315 because they're the favorite over everybody else, that, that's just not a good enough hedge for me. It doesn't allow me to take some shots that I want to take. So I'm going to take the Yankees at plus 550 as my hedge. With them, I'm taking the Padres. Love the Darvish and Snell editions. And also, I love the Mets at 12-1, but since I'm taking another NL East team as my long shot, I'll go with the White Sox at 12-1. So I have two AL teams in my long shot, Jim. Phillies, plus 5,000. I like this team. <laughs> at plus 5. Okay, do you like this team or do you like this team at plus 5,000? I like the. I have both. I think they have a puncher's chance. Their bullpen was horrible last year. They, they they're going to be better there. They could hit the ball, and they have that front end of the rotation. I really really like. So I like them both, and I love the plus five thousand value. Okay, then speaking of a puncher's chance, I don't know where you are, head, but I know that you heard Gavin. The 16-year-old kid take that run at Old Man Ritt yesterday, mm -hmm. only to have Old Man Ritt start firing drops from the board while the kid was still doing his thing. First, I want your reaction to what you heard, and where do you come out on this? For instance, is an adult busting up a kid a boss move, or is it a D-bag move? Or maybe is a kid beating up an elderly citizen completely out of line? And then finally, who you got in this beef? Total boss move by mo both, Jim. I have no problem with either. It was a punch and it was a counter punch, man. What an incredible interaction on that phone call. First off, mad respect to the kid. He comes into the jungle control room and he picks a fight with the toughest, baddest mother bleeper on that side of the glass. He didn't call Hawk out. He called Rid out. So I got respect for that. But also, this, show, uh, this shows what he's dealing with too, man. Old man Ike didn't hesitate. That, that's not who he is. He dropped the gloves on spot, waved off the show's long-standing rule of no drops, like you said, and he gave him some smoke back. As far as who I got, this kid came to Ike's front yard, but Ike is he isn't a dude who just comes outside and says, get off my land. He's jumping over, and he's giving him the hands, dude. Game on. Uh, you know, if the kid could stand in, which he might be able to do and have that sugar comatose kick in, he might have a shot here, Jim. But I think the odds are probably going to be dependent on what time this actual fister goes off. Early in the morning, advantage Ike with the hot cocoa. But late at night, 536 at night, after Ritz probably been at Furs and already in bed, I like the kid in this one. So, yeah, too close to call right here, but uh, would maybe you, Would Ritt. you pick one already? All, All right. right. Ritt at a pick em. It's not like a hawk odd, like minus 1,000. It's, it's a pick em straight up, but I'll go Ritt. Rit at a pick'em because it's not a hawk odd at a minus 1,000. It's contagious, dude. Now I'm mm. butchering and murdering the English <laughs> language just talking to you. Winthrop. All right, Head. Uh, yeah, Winthrop, too. Listen, I, I would run down all of those things, but if they didn't keep track, that's on them. That's a great job, Head. Let's go make some money. Thanks, well Jim. Done. Hey, now it's cracking.
coming to you from the desert, La Quinta. What's cracking? Welcome to the jungle. My name is Jim Rome. The Jim Rome Show. Back in the saddle after a mini vacation. More vacation than you guys get. Nice to be here. What's going on? Welcome to the program. You know, sometimes I need a break from y'all. Sometimes y'all need a break from me. So now would be a good time to start dialing. Opening day of Major League Baseball. The final four is set. The NFL draft is right around the corner. Some good NBA action in the second half. In other words, we have a lot of ground to cover. So when I was hashtagging La Quinta. La Quinta. It was the town, not the motel. Part of the beauty of living in SoCal is you can go from where I live to where we were in under three hours by car. A car! Complimentary toiletries, those hangers that are locked onto the bar, continental breakfast, and those one-cup coffee machines that you have to fill with bathroom sink water. He is Kelvin Sampson. Jim, always good to be on with you, brother. Brother. This is life or death fun. This is a reward for a lot of sacrifice and hard work. I want to see him smile. smile. I'm not going to be uh, Mr. Scrooge. A diving catch, a stolen base, a perfect game, a triple play. I mean, come on. If hearing that does not get you juiced, I don't know what the hell, hell to tell yeah. you. That is like the best bleep ever. Ever! So I get off the bus and I walk into this bar, packed out, excuse me, excuse me, like I had to like wiggle my way into the middle of the bar and I said, hey, the Cincinnati Reds just kicked your like they say in Chicago, better luck next season. I start running out of the bar. I'm yelling at the bus driver, open the door. I open the door. I jump onto the bus. Boom. Twitter. I always love, always love filling on this show. All right, a couple of things. Number one, Bill Ryder. He's talented as hell. It's an honor. It's a privilege. I'm a big Jim Rome fan. Extremely well-connected. Avery, what's going on, man? Hey, Bill. I hope uh, my buddy Jim Rome is doing well. Why do you think we selected him to host all three days? You want a bunch of idiots. Because he's really good at what he does. I will expense some beers from CBS Sports for you. Boogie Basham is my guest. What is that car? Do you have a dream car in mind? My dream car is a CC3 drop-top and pilot with some hydraulic coating with gold. That's all I want. What color? Probably blue. What about the interior? All white. It's got to be all white. Beef jerky segment? It will be. My beef is with people who wave at the animals at the zoo. Hi. Man, don't jab me with that needle on one. That's not cool. That's not funny. That's not clever. That didn't make it better. Patagonia guy. Patagonia jacket. He has the Patagonia fleet. He has the Patagonia camping gear. People who molest the English language. Sailor, they are a big pain in my ass. Yes. They cough me Nate Reavers, Colin Gillespie. I don't like being cheated out of gorgeous men. How you doing, Gavin? Speaking of old man, Rit, I was calling to accept your invitation to the Gavin V. Rit Showdown. Game on. AKA- What's that? <laughs> That's just Rit pushing buttons. <laughs> Make sure and take your pain meds too, too that early because ho- hopefully they kick in by the time I eat your old, dusty, mummified carcass all the way to the Grand Canyon. Twiddle! An adult picking on a child is such a boss move. <laughs> Regards people that tailgate student drivers. Early in the morning, advantage Ike with the hot cocoa. But late at night, after Ritz already in bed, I like the kid. Pick one already. Too close to call right here, but I'll go Ritz. Great job, Head. Let's go make some money. Uh, attention, fight fans. We do have a report of a missing finger. Don't forget to look under your seat and in your popcorn buckets. Where the bleep is his arm? Signed, people at a Def Leppard concert. It's the reason that this band exists now. It's like we're friends first and foremost and musicians second. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. How stupid you idiots feel now. You stupid idiot. Stupid idiot. Oh, and I don't want to bury the lead like the Sox buried Eloy, but the White Sox did blow the lead and they lost the game. Couldn't even win one for your dead. Oh! <laughs>
injured teammate. Good friend of the program. He is Howard Beck. He's not the guy who you're going to rise and fall with every night. That team is about Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo! Oladipo doesn't have to carry them. High-talking little dork. Kids like that didn't pipe up to us, or they'd end up in a garbage can. Now as adults, we just go full Spreewell, man. We'll just wring your neck. Michael Lombardi. Define the system that fits the player. It's really simple. Scout inside out. And if you can't define it, don't take it. Holy smoke, is Baylor good. Benton was the webmaster before the internet was the internet. Of course. Happy opening day, Eve. Ball's in your court, right? Ah. Villain. That's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Over and over and over. No, 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 no. Too close to call. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Outro. And I will see you soon. Good night.